Good evening and welcome to Pigeon Post. My name is Michael and um, thank you for tuning in or clicking on this podcast. Um, This is probably going to be one of the more chilled out episodes um, because it's two in the morning and I've got the time to do this and so uh, I really want to do this. Um, So first off, this is kind of the first episode in a series that I am doing called The Gospel in Color. But it's not really the first episode. So if you want to pause this and go back and listen to the episode that is called The Gospel in Color, um, there I'll kind of be telling you what this whole thing is all about and uh, what the colors mean um, so that you can kind of follow the logic here. Um, So I'm not going to rehash what's on that episode. So I'd encourage you to listen to that one first. It's called The Gospel in Color. And so in this episode, we're basically taking the first color, which is yellow, or it could be gold, um, either one. Basically, it's that color because it represents um, the glory of God. It's just a color that reminds us of the glory of God. So we're in the yellow section, which is where we start when we're talking about the gospel. And as you'll see, there's going to be another episode on the yellow part because that's also where the gospel ends. The gospel begins and ends with the glory of God. And um, so, yeah, I'm not sure who's listening to this, obviously. It's on the out there on the Internet. It can find anybody or anybody can find it. But... Um, Maybe you're listening to this because I recommended it to you or um, we've had conversations. And so I like to be really upfront um, with what's going on when I try to share um, the gospel or share what Jesus has done, that kind of thing with people. Um, So in this episode, all that, here's what my goal is. My goal is to basically present what the Bible says about God. Basically, who is God? What is he like? And what are some things that he's done? Or more, what does he say about himself? And I'm going to try to keep it to scripture. So um, there are a lot of Christians that follow tradition, right? Um, So some Christians will follow what popes say. Some Christians will follow what um, their uh, leaders say. There are some versions of Christianity that are really kind of on the new side, right? And they heavily rely on a particular leader um, that has sort of developed this this understanding. Um, Now, I am in the Reformed tradition, so that means that um, basically when the Protestant Reformation happened, people started reading their Bibles and understanding the gospel, um, which people didn't have access to that for a long time. Um, But I'm not going to rely on um, 
that even the tradition that comes from that. I'm going to really try to just go off of what the Bible says because what you'll find is that different people will try to convince you of different things. And honestly, my goal is not to convince you of anything. Um, it's my belief that scripture and the gospel in particular, the good news, that's what gospel means, that I'm trying to give you is self-attesting. Basically like, I don't have to do the work. Um, here's a good analogy. Um, all I'm trying to do here is plant a seed, maybe provide some water, um, but you know the soil is wherever that seed ends up, and I don't have control over that. Um, I'm just planting seeds wherever I can, and the Bible says that it's God's job to cause the growth to happen. So I'm not really worried about it. Um, I want you to believe the gospel. I want you to know God. But um, I'm not, this is not a sales pitch. This is me trying to show you what I found to be true in the Bible. And you can see if, um, if that rings true or not. And um, so uh, being that I do most of these in the car and kind of off the cuff, but this one's at, at home because I have to read a lot of scripture and I want to read a lot of scripture. So if you have a Bible or even if you just have a phone and um, you're not driving and you'd like to kind of look up some of this stuff and see like, is, is he really reading this right? Like, is, does this say what he says it says? Um, or if you just want to get kind of familiar with what the Bible is, what the books are, we'll be um, going to, I don't know, lots of different books in the Bible. This might be kind of long, but I hope you enjoy it. Um, so if you need a Bible app and you don't have one, I recommend Bible Gateway, um, just because it's user-friendly. Um, and the version of the Bible that I'll be reading from is the English Standard Version. Um, a lot of the Bible versions are essentially the same, so you could pick almost any one of those and it would generally get the same point across. But the English Standard Version is easy to understand and pretty much stays with the word-for-word -word, uh, translation um, stuff. So you're, you're getting the actual words um, that God said. Um, so I'd also encourage you to grab a cup of coffee um, because my voice is not very caffeinated <laughs> at 2 a.m. So um, you can provide your own caffeine this time. Um, Okay, so my goal is to tell you what the gospel is and specifically that how it starts with who God is. And um, let's see. So basically, just a note on what the gospel is. The gospel, and this just briefly refers to that other episode, so I would totally listen to that one first. But the gospel is a framework or a worldview. It's a way to understand Basically, anything that you run into in the world, um, the gospel is explains why, why are we here? Why is this person acting like this? Um, why am I feeling this way? All of this is explained through the gospel. Um, <clears throat> so it's truth, right? I'm making a truth claim here. The Bible itself is making a truth claim. 
Um, but secondly, not only is it a worldview, but it's a relationship. So the gospel, if it takes root in your heart and grows, will result in a personal relationship with God. And you might not want that. You, you might think, I have no desire to know God. Well, that's part of the problem. <laughs> you know, I think I'll, I've been in that boat too. Um, even when I had a wealth of knowledge about God, I didn't really have a desire to know him. And so that, that is the trust part. So if you can remember, this is pretty easy to remember, truth and trust. So the gospel is truth, but it doesn't really do anything for you unless it takes root and grows in your heart. And then it results in trust, right? So you can have this great worldview and all this knowledge. You can have knowledge of God, but not know God, right? But if you have the truth, then you should trust it, right? And if you have the knowledge of God, then you should actually know God and have a relationship with him. Um, and we'll get into that more. You might be thinking, what does that mean? Have a relationship with God? I don't even know what that means. And once again, you kind of don't need to worry about it because these things will sort of reveal themselves um, as, as we read scripture and as, as you hear the story. Um, so I'm going to be on this tablet here and there. So if I pause, uh, sometimes I might be uh, looking something up. So um, by the way, I'm going to pause it just for a second. Okay, so uh, sorry to pause it, check on my kids, and uh, make a cup of tea. So I think we're ready to go. So the first book I'm going to go to is Romans. It's in the New Testament. And it comes basically after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is Paul, who is a believer in Jesus, who started by hating Christians and um, basically approving of their death, if not being involved in killing them directly. Um, he totally changed. He totally changed because of Jesus and started preaching the gospel. And so basically Romans is kind of the way to understand um, what the entire Bible is about. So um, let's, let's look at Romans um, just in the very beginning, Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To those, to all those in Rome 
who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, we're not necessarily studying this book, so it's okay if you're like, what was all that about? <laughs> Descended from David according to the flesh, um, grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Those might be really foreign phrases to you. Um, or maybe not, but that's okay either way, because what I'm going to do here is just point out some things that Christians believe that are obvious in this text, okay? So first off, we see God being referenced as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, not all in the same verse, but if you listen there, and, or if you're reading in your Bible with me, that would be great. So in verse 7, it calls God Father, right? In verse 3 and 4, it talks about the Son, the Son of God. And then um, later in verse 4, it says the Spirit of Holiness. So if we were doing a study on, on um, the Trinity, if you've heard that word, the Trinity, that means that God is one, one God, right? But he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if we were doing a study on the Trinity, we would look at way more verses than that. But I just wanted to point out that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all referenced in these verses. And so the Father is, that's one way that we can think about what a relationship with God might be like. It might be like he's our Father, right? Um, so even though God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's also true that in, in the Bible it speaks about there being one God and one Lord. Um, I'm not going to look these up, but scriptures that you might want to jot down that talk about God being one, um, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which is in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and then 1 Timothy 2, 5. Um, both of those passages basically say, hey, look, there's only one God. There's one Lord. Um, we have uh, one thing that we believe. And um, other things that kind of jump out in this scripture is that God makes promises. It says that he promised beforehand in the Holy Scriptures. So that shows us that the Bible is God's trustworthy word about himself. So you might hear people say that the Bible is God's word. And that means that we can believe it. It's true. Um, if we were doing a podcast about how do we know the Bible is true, that would be a whole different question. But basically what I'm asking you to do if you're not a believer is to just hear the words of the Bible and see what it says about God and then you can come to your own conclusion about whether you think that's true. Um, what I would say is that God has written it in such a way that it's self-attesting. So it will attest to itself whether it's true. Um, it would be going off on a, a rabbit trail to get into what all that means. I don't mean that you're going to have a, a fuzzy, warm feeling when you read it. Um, I mean that it's going to make sense of the world 
and make sense of what your relationship with God should be. And as you grow in that relationship with God and get to know him more and get to know his word more, it's just going to further reinforce that. Um, so I believe that God's word is self-attesting. Um, it doesn't require, it's great to have a bunch of evidence that it's true. And we do have that evidence. There's more manuscripts of the Bible than any other ancient book by far. It is very trustworthy. And people have gone to great lengths to preserve it. And God has preserved his word. And why has he preserved it? Because he makes promises. So um, I feel like I'm talking uh, too much about each point. I'm trying to give an overview. So let me try to get back on track. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's only one God. Um, God makes promises. And these promises have been written down over time and compiled. And that is the Bible. It's a trustworthy word from God about God to us um, so that we can understand what the good news is. God has made these promises in such a way that it's not only that he knows that they come to pass, but he performs them. They do come to pass. And that touches on something about God called his sovereignty, that God is in control of what things happen. Um, now, different Christians understand this in different ways. I just told someone the other day who wasn't a Christian that um, I believe something that a lot of Christians don't believe. Um, but I do believe that the Bible teaches that God is in control of all things, every single thing, and, um, and that he is working all things for his glory and for the good of those who love him. And um, maybe on another podcast, we'll go into all the scriptures for that. But see, if God's making promises in his scripture, he is um, making sure that those things are carried out um, the way that he wants them to happen. And that means that he's sovereign. He's in control um, of all things. He's um, holding the universe together, it says. In another scripture. <clears throat> okay, another thing to note in this passage is how it mentions that these things are happening, this gospel is being proclaimed for the sake of God's name, singular, right? Among all the nations. That is loaded with controversy. Um, these days, and it was loaded with controversy back then because people could have a whole pantheon of gods as long as they didn't say that this God was, you know, the God, right? Um, but Christians don't believe that there's a pantheon of gods. There's not many different gods. We're monotheist. We believe that there's one God, as mentioned earlier, but it it's, it goes bigger than that. This says for the sake of his name. So God is a person. In fact, he has a name by which he is called in scripture. Um, and when you read the Bible, most of the time it just says Lord for that name. Um, but you might hear different translations and one of them says Yahweh. So if you ever hear a Christian say Yahweh, that's like the name of God. Um, 
There's another passage where God says that his name is, is I am, or I am who I am. And um, basically these days, because of what Jesus has done and because that he is our way to God, um, a lot of times we use the name Jesus. Um, but the point is this, there is one God and he is who he says he is revealed in his word. So what, what this means is that um, Christianity is an exclusive religion. Jesus is an exclusive savior, um, which means that you must come to him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that message is to be proclaimed to all nations. So a lot of times people will say that Christianity is intolerant or it, um, how would you say it? I mean, basically a Christian needs to believe that there is only one God, the God of the Bible, not Allah, not um, any of the Hindu gods. Um, and just God is who he says he is in his word and that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. There aren't other ways to get to God. All roads don't lead to the same place. Um, Jesus is the road and he, he is the only road. Um, so just to recap as we're going along here, just in this scripture alone, God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, often called the Trinity. Um, God makes promises in Scripture. So Scripture is a unique place where we have the promises of God. God is powerful and sovereign and in control, and he can fulfill those promises according to his will so that his will will get his will <laughs> will be accomplished. And you can see that the will of God in the gospel is that People from all nations come to Jesus for the sake of his name, not that people go to any religion of their choice and eventually get to God. That's not possible, and we'll see why as we um, kind of go through this. Okay, um, that, that's Romans chapter 1, and um, we went up to verse 7. And if we slide down to verse 15... Um, this hopefully is going to get even more clear here as Paul is about to share what it is that he thinks is the good news. So verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, it's the gospel, right? The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world 
in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, that paragraph is basically the whole gospel, but we're zeroing in on just this yellow part, the glory of God or who God is and what he is like and what he has done. So um, some things that we saw in there, the righteousness of God. So that is a thing or that is an attribute or a characteristic of God. He is righteous. He always does what is right and correct and um, what is honoring to him. Um, that's what he does. That's what he endorses. He is God-centered. God is about God. He's about himself and it's right that he's about himself because he is God. It wouldn't be right if we were about ourselves, but it's right for God to be about himself. God is God-centered. So the righteousness of God. Um, we also saw in there that the wrath of God. So God's not just a happy old grandpa in the sky who is going to just say, oh, it's okay, everything's okay, everything's gravy, it's all good. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not how he's revealed himself. He's revealed himself as being righteous. And when that righteousness is not being honored, being wrathful in response. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the unrighteousness, the ungodliness, okay? So it's very clear that there is either a for God or against God. So God is very much into drawing lines of distinction um, between those who are for him or um, those who he is for, we'll talk about that more, and those who are against him or those that he is against. Um, so God's righteous. He can be wrathful against the unrighteous. Um, it also says here that we should all already know, because God made it plain to everybody, so even if you're listening to this and consider yourself an atheist or an agnostic or you're not sure, um, this scripture says that it's actually plain to you, this isn't news, that God is eternal and powerful and has a divine nature. That should be obvious to you. It's written in your heart. Now, you might think, well, wait a minute, I, I honestly don't believe that. I truly don't know that. So how can scripture say that I'm supposed to know that there's an eternal, powerful, divine 
God with a nature that's not like mine, how can scripture accuse me of that? Well, first off, this is talking about the human race in general. And I want you to maybe consider that maybe what it says here is true. That God not being honored um, is, is like taking that truth and exchanging it for a lie. The truth is being suppressed. So you might not feel like you've done the suppressing. Though I would argue that this is saying that you have. So I'm not trying to um, downplay what it's saying. But this is also talking about man in general is in a state of rebellion against God. So it might seem normal or more logical because our minds and our hearts are darkened according to what this says. But let's stay on topic. God is eternal. He is powerful. He has a divine nature. And this also refers to him as the creator, uh, which means that God made you. Okay. Um, so knowing this is starting to open up that idea of the glory of God um, because it's being contrasted with how we have tried to take glory from God by not honoring him as God, right? Okay, so at this point, we're going to kind of take a break from Romans and I'm going to start going a little faster here through some scriptures. And my goal, once again, is just to try to show you what God says about God. Okay. So in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. That is affirming what is said here, that the glory of God is being declared even when you look up into the sky, um, when you see those mountains in your day-to-day -day life, things are showing you the glory and even some of the attributes of God. I'll bet you get upset when something is not fair or when something is unjust. That is a fingerprint of God on your heart that's, that's showing you that there's a reason why you're upset when something is unjust or when someone is murdered or something like that. And that is because God is just. And he's made us in his image. He's made us to honor him and the things that show his character. And even though we're broken and don't do that perfectly, um, so I'm not saying you're, that our hearts are perfect sounding boards for what God is like, but there is a stamp of truth there, the fact that we do care about what's just and what's not just. All right, I'm going to go to Psalm 139 next. And I'm doing Bible via tablet right now, so 
not the most comfortable with that. <laughs> I'd rather have the paper Bible. Um, Psalm 139, 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God not only made the heavens and the earth and left his stamp on there that shows his glory, but have you seen an ultrasound recently? Have you seen these images of a child growing inside of a womb? God is knitting that child together. Um, this is one of the reasons why Christians are so passionate, or should be, about being pro-life. That a child is being knitted together and is most definitely human. And that God has even written out all of the days that um, that child is to live. And, um, and people would presume to impose on that and commit murder um, is wrong. The glory of God is obvious um, even in how you came to be. Um, how your heart started beating and you were nourished inside of your mother's womb. Um, God was doing that, and um, we should glorify him for that. So God is a personal creator. He's created each person, and God is a creator of all of the universe, and we should know that when we see that. Um, so speaking of creation... We're just in Psalms. Let's go to the very beginning of the Bible and read a little bit of Genesis. And I would encourage you that if you're intrigued at this point, or maybe um, you're a Christian and you just want to do further study, excuse me, sip of tea, um, don't try to read the whole Bible. <laughs> I mean, you can do it. That's great if you do. Um, but I think starting with different portions is a good idea. So if you were to read like all of Genesis, which I think is 50 chapters, um, and then half of Exodus, which is the next book, that would be awesome. It would give you a really great foundation. And then I would encourage you to skip over to Deuteronomy, which is a couple books over. And maybe read that all the way through maybe Second Kings or something like that. So if you're like, I need a, a condensed reading plan. I, can't, I don't have time to read the whole Bible. If you want to get the big gist of the Old Testament, read Genesis through about half of Exodus. And when they start talking about the temple, um, you could sort of stop Exodus and then go to Deuteronomy and read um, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. You'll get some really great, awesome stories in there 
especially the book of Ruth is great. Um, but all of, all of that will give you like a really good historical foundation for what's happening in the old Testament. And then, um, I'm going to be reading from Isaiah in a second. Isaiah, maybe like chapters 1 through 6, and then 40 through 55. So you can always rewind and write that down if you really want to, um, for whatever my advice is worth there. <laughs> but that's my condensed Old Testament reading plan there to kind of get a really good picture of what's going on without having to read every single word of the Old Testament. All right, so Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hopefully you've heard that verse before. God is the creator. But by the end of chapter 1, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So in Genesis 1, it shows that God made everything in six days. In chapter 2, if we go down to verse 25, um, chapter 2 tells the story of God making man and woman, or the man, Adam, and his wife. And in chapter 25, it says the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God made everything good, including the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, and they were naked and not ashamed and they were in a beautiful garden. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> that is a pretty good deal. Um, now, we're gonna go back to Genesis in the next episode when we talk about sin, um, but just to show how good God is as a creator, Genesis chapter one and two, just read a few verses from there. Okay, um, remember we're trying to see what is God like? Now here is where it's sort of um, really definitive things are said in Isaiah. So I recommended that you read Isaiah 1 through 6, which we're not going to read, but we're going to read some of Isaiah 40 through 55. Um, so I'm going to start in 42 verse 5, but if you were to read Isaiah 40 through 55, um, that section is actually called the Book of Comfort by some Christians. And really cool things that God says about himself. So I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. Um, but what I'm reading here is Isaiah 42, 5 through 8, 43, 8 through 13, 44, 6 through 8, and 45, 18 through 46, 13. And it's okay. I'm just saying that for anybody that might want to write it down or follow along. But I'm going to just read through this fairly quickly here. Starting with Isaiah 42, 5. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. 
my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So God is exclusive here. He gives his glory to no one else. He's affirming himself as creator, and he is a kind and good God who makes promises or covenants with people and opens the eyes of the blind, etc. Just want us to see some things about God. 43 verse 8, starting there. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and all the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know, God wants you to know, and believe me, God wants you to believe, and understand that I am he. So God wants you to know him. He wants you to believe what he says, and he wants you to mentally understand who he is. So um, I'll read that again because the next part is huge. Okay. Um, That you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? I think this really speaks for itself. He's the only Savior, and he is jealous or zealous. Either one of those works for his name. Here he'll say it again, 44.6. Thus says the Lord, By the way, Lord, all caps, could also be Yahweh. It's the name of God, okay? Thus says Yahweh, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, Yahweh of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Um, Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it, and you are my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Um, God is often called the rock in Scripture because he is solid and unchanging. 45.18. And I'll read for a little while here um, because I want us just to hear what God is. This is all God talking. Let's see what he says about himself. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. 
I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw together. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, and from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beast and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me. You stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. So I've read quite a bit of scripture there. 
Now, I want to just list out some of the attributes of God, but um, let me pause this for a second. Okay, sorry, I had to sneeze. <laughs> um, allergies kind of getting to me here. So we've seen a lot, I've read a lot in those verses, and I think the main points have been pretty obvious. But just to point out or summarize some things, we want to know who God is. And we see God's identity in his word. We see what's called the omnis. Um, God is omnipresence, he's omnipotent, and he's omniscient. So that means that he is all present, he sees, or we could say he is everywhere, um, which we'll try to clarify that in a second. He's also all-knowing, which means that he knows everything that has ever been or will ever be. And he's all-powerful, which means that God can do anything that he wants to do. Um, so we don't have to ask questions like, can God um, make a rock so big he can't lift it? God can do anything that it is his will to do, as he said in those verses. Um, now, the thing about God being all-present, we want to make sure that we don't confuse, as the verses that we read show us, you don't want to confuse the creator with the creation. So God is not the tree, and he's not in the tree in some kind of pantheistic sense, right? But God is everywhere in the sense that he sees everything that is happening, and his spirit can be or is present everywhere, right? But there's also a sense in which God is in the heavens, right? He is above us. He is um, not um, present in the sense that um, this is where he is in a tangible sense. That's why I think it's better to um, say that God sees everything. But regardless, God is all present. But there are special ways in which he is present. For instance, um, in a Christian, a believer in Christ, who has truly believed in Christ, um, God is has taken up residence inside that person. So that, that would be a way that he's present um, in a believer that he is not present in an unbeliever, if that makes sense but not to get beyond the scope of what we're talking about. But I wanted to make sure that we don't misunderstand. God is not the force or um, some kind of um, pantheistic. Um, God is not the universe. You know, God is not good vibes. God is not um, any of those things um, that are often popular in our um Americanized understanding of meshing all religions together. Um, anyway, God is creator, and um, and yeah, he is the one who has made all things, and he's also the sustainer. He's the one that's holding it all together. So we don't believe in what's called deism, which means that God created, and then he's removed himself from it, which gets us back to thinking that God is all present, right? He is a creator and he's a sustainer. So he is all present because he is holding 
all things together. He is holding this mug together, all the molecules that make up this mug that I'm drinking out of. He's holding it together. He's causing my heart to beat. He's doing it, the Bible says, by the word of his power. So it's like he created all things just by saying, let there be this or let there be that. That's how he created things. And that's also how he's holding all things together. So it's not good enough to just say God made everything or God wound up the watch at the beginning and it'll wind down. No, God is sustaining everything and accomplishing all of his purpose through every atom in the universe. Um, as one theologian put it, there's no square inch of the universe over which God, or I think he actually says Jesus in the quote, but anyway, says there's no square inch of the universe over which Jesus does not say mine, right? It is his. We will not ever be outside of God's universe. We are creatures uh, within his creation. He's the creator and sustainer. Um, God is Yahweh. So uh, when I was reading a lot of those, it said the Lord. That's his name, Yahweh. And he makes it clear that he is not Baal. He is not Allah. He is not Vishnu. He is not any of these other gods that are brought forth from other religions. God is who he says he is. And he says to the Israelites, you are my witnesses, which further reinforces that it is this book, the Bible, through which God has revealed himself and his word with his promises um, through his people, um, not through other religions. Um, although other religions will sometimes have hints of truth in them, they are not the truth and do not reveal um, the true God. Um, also, we see God's personal, and we just talked about that. He's not the force or the universe or reality or good vibes or any of that. He's a personal God. God is a person. He talks. He relates. God's not a man. God's not, you know, um, an old man sitting up there in the sky. Or as Mormonism teaches, God is not what we are. He wasn't once what we are. Um, he, is, he is spirit, right? Uh, the Bible uh, says that God is spirit, and yet he is personal. So he's not spirit in the sense that he's impersonal, just something you feel or mesh into when you die or something like that. God is a person. He is distinct from us and relates to us just like we experience relating to each other. That is because we're made in his image and we can relate to him um, through Jesus. Okay, um, what else have we seen? God is true and righteousness and righteous. He is... Um, a covenant keeper. He makes covenants. He makes promises and he keeps them. God is glorious and he's jealous, right? God is jealous and it's right for him to be jealous because he is the only God. In fact, um, this will be another controversial thing if I haven't controversied you out of this. <laughs> is, that, is that a verb? Controversied? If I haven't controversied you into stopping this podcast already, um, here's another controversial thing. The Bible says that not only 
our other religions incorrect. And God, in the passages in Isaiah, says that idols are basically nothing, you know, right? But it's also worse than that. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10.20, which I'll read, it says, Paul says, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, so pagans are people who don't believe in the God of Israel, what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. <clears throat> he also says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Um, so uh, that's also sort of quoting Deuteronomy 32, 17. Um, so God is saying, look, idols are nothing. They're not going to save you. They are not gods. And it's even worse than that, that when you do worship before um, these idols or you worship these other gods, you're worshiping a demon. So that's why we do see spiritual power sometimes in other religions, because there are these fallen angels, these demons behind these religions um, that are against um, God himself. So um, first time I heard that, I was like, what? And then I looked it up, I was like, well, yeah, that's what it says, that, um, that there are demons behind other religions. So um, this often, I think, has Christians accused of um, sort of like, you know, hating on other religions or whatever. But it's not hatred to say that there is one God and that um, Jesus is the only way to God. It's actually a very loving thing to say because you want people to know who God is. And that's, that's why I'm doing this podcast. I want you to know who God is. Okay, um, God also in these passages revealed himself as Savior, Rock, Redeemer. Redeemer is like the one that buys back the slave. Um, or, um, or buys back something that's been lost, and also the Lord of armies of angels. So when it says the Lord of hosts, he's the Lord of armies, tons and tons of angels, um, which he has created. Okay, um, that is really all I have. Um, I think what I'm going to do right now is we're at almost the hour point. So I'm going to go ahead and um, just briefly summarize the purpose and stop it. But I think I'm going to do another just small segment, just reading a few more scriptures. So if you're listening to this, you're like, I don't have more than an hour. You could totally stop it here and probably be fine. Um, but for those who want to hear just a little bit more um, scripture, I'm going, to, I'm going to read some more in a second. But just to recap, this is... The gospel in color, basically just a framework for understanding the good news of the scripture, just using colors. It'll be easy to remember. This whole episode has been about the glory of God, who God is, what he's like. We're going to get into more of what he has done in some of the later episodes. But basically, God's identity. Who is God, according to the Bible? And you can use yellow to help remember that. Um, the next episode will be over black, which it represents the darkness 
and despair and grief that sin is and brings upon us. And so um, that should contrast sharply with this episode, um, which is how good and great and awesome and right God is. Um, We'll get into our anthropology, um, what man is like and what man has done in the next episode. So thank you for joining us. Once again, if you want to hear all the colors in one episode, just go back to that episode um, that you'll find earlier. Um, I guess like, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe 10 podcasts ago, maybe less. I don't know. But it's called The Gospel in Color. Listen to that and I'll explain like all of the colors um, and what they mean. That'll give you a good overview. And then this one, once again, is the yellow episode. So give me a second and I'll find some cool music and then I'll be back to read some more scripture. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so if you're still with me, um, thanks for listening. This is kind of an appendix. I'm basically just going to read some scripture. and um, But... If you want to write some of this down, or if you'd rather just read it on your own, I'm actually not going to read these first three. I wanted to give a few more scriptures about the Trinity. So um, if you're like, ah, you didn't really convince me, you know, that the Bible teaches the Trinity. Here's just a few more um, that will help. John 1, 1 through 4. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And then a great verse which actually has the Trinity in it, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. So just a note about God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit and the formulation of the Trinity, um, um, that idea. Basically, that description of God as Trinity, you might say that word, Trinity, is not in the Bible. And some groups make a really big deal out of that. Basically, the explanation of the Trinity is the only way that Scripture makes sense. Because Scripture shows us that Jesus is God, that the Father is God, and that the Spirit is God. Scripture shows us that all of those are distinct persons who actually do different things, although they're working as one God. They are not different. Okay, But we would say that the Father didn't die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Um, And we would say that the Father sent the Son, right? And then we would say that the Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross, right? So God is three distinct persons, using that word um, somewhat differently um, there. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, But there's one God. This is one God. Now, just to be clear, this is not three different gods working as a team. That is kind of what Mormonism says or what um, people accuse Christians of believing. So Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, say we believe in three gods. I I think they'll say that. Um, But no, 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 that's Mormonism. That's tritheism. But we believe in the Trinity, which is that God is one. There is one God. And he um, is also that one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, 
should probably do an episode on that later on down the road. But um, my challenge to you is just read the New Testament and it'll become clear to you. You don't need the word Trinity necessarily. Okay, um, I wanted to read a couple things specifically about the glory of God. If you want to read these on your own, I'll tell you exactly what I'm reading. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 4 and 5. So I'm going to read those two whole chapters. And then I'm going to read Revelation 21, 1 through 8. And then 21, chapter 21, verse 22, all the way through chapter 22, verse 7. So I really wanted to get a glimpse of what scripture shows us as the glory of God. And then I'm going to read a short couple verses from Isaiah and short from Jeremiah. And I'm not even going to comment very much. I'm just going to let scripture speak for itself. All right, so Revelation 4 and 5. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and with one seated on the throne. With one seated on the throne, excuse me. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Okay, all that, a bunch of weird stuff there, okay, but here's, here's the point. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels Numbering, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. That was Revelation 4 and 5. Now Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. 
And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So that was from Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible. And I just wanted us to see some of the glory of God and Jesus. Um, probably read some of that again. Oh, what am I looking for? This I'm not a big digital Bible kind of guy, but I kind of have to be right now. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. Or we could say the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. So the revelation thing and here are these visions. And some of it may be poetic language. Probably less so here in Isaiah. But this is showing us how glorious God is. Um, much more we could say about that, but this is running incredibly long already. So if you're still with me, thanks. High five for hanging in there. I think it's like 3 o'clock, 3.30 right now when I'm recording this. All right, this is the last thing I wanted to read. Um, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This will kind of sum it up. Okay. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. 
Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. I love that because it's the focus there is on knowing God and that nobody likes someone who boasts or brags or uh, makes a big deal. But God himself says, hey, this is the big deal, that you understand and know me, that I am Yahweh, the Lord. I am, I am God, this God, not the other gods, right? And this is what I do. I practice steadfast love. I practice justice. And I practice righteousness. And why do I do it? Because I delight in these things. So we'll stop there. Thank you for hanging out there. Um, I would apologize that it was so long, but hey, how, how can you cover... Um, so much about God, his glory, his attributes. I didn't even really cover it very well, but I take comfort in the fact that I read scripture to you and, and scripture will not return void. So hopefully there's a seed planted there. And it was good for me to read that too. Um, so um, scripture is always better than what I have to say. So I hope that you've seen what God is like and um, that you dig into that a little bit more. And uh, this has been the yellow episode of the gospel in color. Have a great uh, rest of your day. Thanks for listening and bye-bye.